You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Forty years ago, this is Emeritus Rex with Rabbi Ruvain Yoshua Pupko of Cote St. Luke, Montreal's most prestigious suburb, housing, of course, Beth Israel and Beth Aaron, where Rabbi Pupko himself sits in a rabbinic perch that is unmatched, being able to pontificate and bring on all different types of subjects, especially many, many ideas that you're going to find here. Rabbi, I know that uh, you are, you're very busy. I know the State Department is calling you in. Uh, damage control, indeed. Damage control, indeed. So tell me, um, you know, look, September 11th is, 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 is not far away. It's 20 years uh, since then. And uh, with COVID becoming so prominent, the idea of Islamic terror and the, and, and, and the power of Islamic terror spreading across the world uh, was sort of in the background. And now, look, the Taliban ain't exactly, you know, the, um, the ladies' auxiliary <laughs> in, in terms of they're not, they're, not, they're not bringing out the teacups. And, you know, and bringing in, you know, having TED Talk speakers, right? They're, they're chopping people's heads off, right? I would assume. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you, so what are we we're talking about Afghanistan, huh? Well, yeah, the Taliban, I know, in Afghanistan. And the idea that, uh, I mean, clearly, I mean, there, there's so many ways, you, I guess you can approach this, Rabbi, right? You can approach it in terms of Biden. This first time Biden is really like, you know, being really attacked by by many many voices way beyond the uh, the right wing base the right wing base of the Trumps and, and, and Trumpists and others, I mean I think many many people are, are seeing this as just an incredible uh, failure of of not understanding what was going on and allowing this to happen and American America pride and prestige being you know tossed aside. So I, I know there's many ways you can uh, deal with this. The rise again of Islamic terror and and and, and what now could, could happen after it. So does this? You know, I'm sure this is a topic that interests you. How should it concern us? Maybe that's the way I should phrase this. Listen, how should this? How should how, this, how should how should this concern the Jewish community at large? All right. So here, here, here's the here. Listen, there are many issues to talk about when you when you deal with the the war in Afghanistan, how that war unfolded, the different ups and downs of that war. Through several presidencies and now the, uh, the the withdrawal. So, just to talk about the immediate. The immediate is that uh, for months uh, we knew this was coming. Uh, Biden announced back in the spring that this was coming, and um, uh, he wanted to pull everybody out. Uh, he claimed a four month longer window for American troops in Afghanistan than Trump envisioned with the strange deal that Trump struck with the with the Taliban. Uh, through negotiations in, in, in the Gulf. And uh, according to that, uh, they're supposed to pull out May 1st. He made it August 31st. But, you know, and, and then Biden claiming he was kind of handcuffed by the Trump deal. And that's pretty nonsensical, given how many other policies of Trump he was able to quickly uh, overturn uh, and whether it was trying to re-enter the Iran deal or whatever. And uh, so I think that's kind of a, a misdirection where he talks about being locked in because of something Trump had done. But no matter what one thinks about the withdrawal and whether it was a good idea to stay there at all, 
So I think everyone agrees it was a good idea to go in uh, back in 2001, uh, staying there at all. Uh, there's no question there was terrible mismanagement about the withdrawal. In other words, you know it's coming. Intelligence reports, according to the New York Times, said there could be a, a quick collapse, although they hung their hat on some of the more optimistic reports about how long the government would be viable absent American military uh, presence. Um, there were significant intelligence reports that said it would, there would be a quick collapse, and that those were uh, apparently ignored. And the lack of preparation, the lack of preparation getting Americans out, the lack of preparation of getting Afghani interpreters and other people who are now at risk that the Americans are, are, are gone. So uh, and the chaotic scenes at the airport certainly don't inspire uh, uh, awe for American decision-making and planning. And so it, it, the immediate, I think everyone agrees, was mishandled. Everybody agrees that the, uh, uh, that the chaos in Kabul <clears throat> at the airport and uh, but, certainly but, a stain but, on the American record. You know, I, I didn't listen to Biden's uh, 345. I think I was uh, on a recumbent bike or doing something else. But I know he gave a press conference in the middle of the afternoon to sort of justify what he did. Right. It wasn't uh, a press conference. He didn't take questions. I mean, he, he spoke to the media and... Uh, you know, in a nationally televised, yeah, whatever, but he, he didn't take questions. He said he justified it that, you know, and there's an argument for this, that, you know, you, you try to help, you invest, you know, money and resources and American lives and try to help a country stand on its own two feet. And if they're not willing to fight, you know, for themselves, you know, but on the other hand, you know, what did Biden, what could Biden have done differently is the question. And what he could have done differently is very simple, nothing. Because the reality is the couple thousand troops that were there were, were, were able to do things. They were able to, first of all, provide services so that the Afghan Air Force could do what they do, so that uh, uh, there was a tripwire, so to speak, uh, as long as the Americans were there in, in terms of the willingness of what the Taliban, willingness of the part of the Taliban to, 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 to attempt certain kinds of attacks. And it was a morale boost to the Afghani army. The pullout of American soldiers destroyed whatever morale they had left. Just ripped the those servicing the Afghani uh, aircraft out of the country, removed the American aircraft out of Bagram, and uh, they talk about over the horizon support, whatever the heck that means. And it, it certainly devastated the morale of the army. The army didn't fight. There wasn't fighting anywhere. The army melted away. So yeah. apparently, the American presence did a lot because until they pulled out, that didn't happen. You know, I think many people uh, need to understand, and uh, they're not, it's not that, that they're tuning into risk of the rise so they get that understanding. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. America's Rex. That's another show that I do called Risk of the Rise. They're not tuning into Emeritus Rex to, to get that understanding. But I, I think you would agree that, OK, so let's say before the Taliban, the Afghani government there wasn't exactly a democracy. It was also very much. No, a, listen, listen, the willingness of soldiers to continue to fight for leadership that they consider corrupt is, is minimal. And, and there's no question that the that the Afghani government never got attacked together, never rooted out corruption. Army commanders, the Afghani army were corrupt. They inflated the number of soldiers to get more money and embezzled the salaries. But, you know, the stories are well known. And the willingness of people to fight for corrupt leadership is minimal. And uh, so there's a lot of blame to go around here. But whatever you want to say about anything, two things are clear. The continued presence of a, of a small number of American troops which had who had suffered no casualties since February 2020, 
Not a single American casualty since February 2020. Apparently, that small number had a pretty important impact in keeping the Taliban a little bit at bay. So so I guess my point was a corrupt Afghani government was still better than what's happened now. The Taliban are, are, are obviously not only should we hate them for the way, although we supported them in the way back past, as you said, it's a, there's a whole labyrinth of, 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 of deals that were made in the past. But we know that they harbored uh, the terrorists who were and people that, that planned 9-11. We know that they are a lot more. They are definitely whether maybe in corruption, they're the same, but they're actually much more brutal and, and terrible in terms of what they can wreak upon uh, their enemies and the civilian population. So I'm, here's my point. You know, if people like uh, Rashida Talib and uh, everyone else are ripping out their kishkas about what's happening with the uh, with the Palestinians and what happened to people in Gaza, now because of these actions, the Taliban is now going to wreak uh, havoc, terror, and murder. Like I said, beheadings on on, on a whole swath of people. So that shouldn't that also we should be able to call out the administration for that, not just the change of regime, but the, the fact that the regime is going to, uh, that new regime that's going to come in is going to uh, commit heinous, terrible crimes, and also perhaps it's a harbinger for a resurgence of, uh, of ISIS and all right. the other uh, Islamic uh, extremists, right? Which I would say, therefore, it's too soon, obviously, to, to, uh, to characterize the, the pullout in some ways. I mean, again, the mismanagement of the immediate is obvious to all. Terrible mismanagement, terrible lack of preparation, a terrible betrayal of Afghani supporters who are now left alone in, in, you know, in, at the mercies of the Taliban. But the question is, I, I love how the Taliban obviously you know, have, have the access to the internet and they talk about, we're going to have an inclusive government, right? have inclusive government, diversity. Right? They, 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 they know the code words to, to use. It's very funny to listen to them. And um, are they going to behave differently now than they did before uh, towards women and girls and education and place in society? I mean, are they going to behave differently in terms of giving safe haven to terrorist groups? I mean, you know, it's too soon to say. It is very reasonable to expect the worst based on their history. And, uh, and if that happens, what Biden did here will certainly uh, harm him, harm his political future, but more importantly, harm his, uh, the political interests of, uh, of America. I mean, look what China already said, you know, basically drawing an explicit comparison to uh, their ability to take over Taiwan. I mean, Taiwan is a huge issue through the next decade. Uh, Taiwan, I mean, you're very old, so you remember when it was called Formosa, but uh, yeah. it's called Taiwan now. And yes. uh, the uh, <laughs> the capital is Taipei, I believe. <laughs> right. Taipei, yes. So Taiwan is huge. I mean, Japan expects America to go to war over Taiwan. Many in America always believed we're going to go to war to defend Taiwan. Does America have the naval capability now to defend Taiwan if China wants to overwhelm Taiwan? Now, Obviously, Taiwan is not Afghanistan. It's a sophisticated society that I <clears throat> do a lot more in its own defense. But China is a major threat to Taiwan right now. And well, well we, saw what happened, we, saw, we saw what happened in Hong Kong, <laughs> which was not really, I guess we, it was officially between Britain and China. But we saw, you know, Hong Kong, again, was, is, is, is an incredibly important financial center. And by the way, 
uh, as you know, a very important Jewish city. Hong Kong has got a, 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 a vibrant Jewish population. Right. A lot of it are, are the, um, the, a lot of the business people uh, throughout the world were using Hong Kong as a base of operations to bring things in. Um, and, and that, I think, is, I don't know how the Jews have, have dealt with it, but I, I assume it's gotten a lot worse in the last Nobody, couple of years. Here's, here's the bottom line, is that what has happened in Afghanistan certainly does nothing to inspire uh, optimism in American, with American allies in terms of future American support and wherewithal uh, and determination, and certainly does nothing to strike fear in the hearts of America's enemies. Uh, it certainly uh, makes America look vulnerable, uh, weak. And this message that sends to friend and foe alike, those are very dangerous messages. And the fact is America, a strong America, is good for Israel. A weak, you know, a, a weak and indecisive America is bad for Israel. Israel benefits from having, an, uh, you know, its number one ally respected in the world. When America is not respected in the world, that hurts Israel. And uh, the other thing that could possibly happen is that, you know, morale uh, uh, is a very important issue in, uh, in, the, in the Muslim world, the sense of pride and dignity. And when, uh, for instance, a guy like Soleimani is killed or, or, uh, or, or Bin Laden is killed, it has a ripple effect in terms of demoralizing the terrorists. A victory like this can provide a boost for organizations that were teetering or at or, or, or we're at risk or, or threatened, uh, ISIS, Al-Qaeda. And this is a rallying cry for, for, for the radicals in the Muslim community. And if they're not only right emboldened by the victory, but given safe haven because of the, the, the victory of the Taliban, uh, you know, that will know a year, two years, five years from now. And, uh, you know, in one regard, you know, people overlook the great victory in Afghanistan. I know people will think that's crazy to say that, but there was a great victory. Had any of us been asked on September 12th uh, in 2001, when the next terror attack has happened, we all would have said within six months, all of us. And the fact there hasn't been another 9-11 since 9-11 means possibly that Afghanistan was a victory. They destroyed Al-Qaeda. The question is, the, 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 as everyone has said, the mission in Afghanistan morphed very quickly from dismantling al-Qaeda to building the nation's building. Well, we should have realized, I mean, there was such a, you know, whether it was the ferocity of their soldiers and the, you know, how the, I mean, we know that bin Laden himself, I think, trained with the, with the Afghanis, right? There was right. something there, you know, um, I don't know. I saw some the movie. The did fought against the Russians and, right. you know, but also the under, there are parts of the story that people are talking about. This is a victory for Pakistan because Pakistan harbored uh, the Taliban. They harbor them in the winter. They leave their winter resorts to come fight in the spring. This is a, a victory for Pakistan. What does it mean? What does it mean for Pakistan? Maybe the people they supported and gave safe haven to in order really to challenge India. That's what that game was all about. Uh, India certainly feels threatened today. Um, will they now turn on Pakistan? Because remember, yeah. the Pakistanis were fighting the Pakistan Taliban while supporting the Afghani Taliban. Now, what does it mean? What, are the Afghani Taliban now going to turn on their previous hosts and even further radicalize Pakistan? And remember, it's a nuclear-armed country, Pakistan. So we don't know what this means. We don't know what it means for China. We don't know what it means in terms of Iran. We don't know what it means in terms of triggering a refugee exodus to Europe. And we know what the exodus 
the refugee exodus from Syria meant to Europe. It meant Brexit. It meant Orban in, in Hungary. It meant, you know... Uh, uh, and, you know, and, uh, and, and increased uh, terror attacks against in, Jews. In Europe. Increased terror attacks on Jews in Europe, as we know. So that was part of it. Do you think, uh, Rabbi, is it, you know, your, your sage political uh, opinion that yeah. is it possible that we're going to hear the, the, the phrase uh, in extreme Muslim or extreme Muslim terrorism anymore? Or is it always just going to be extremists? And, you know, you know the woke uh, community jumped and, and excised the word Islamic, right? It's always right. extremist. Um, do you think there's there might be a return to that, or or, or, or or because we know that understanding, as Bernard Lewis I think wrote even uh, twenty over twenty years ago, unless you understand as you as you alluded to the principles of Dar al Islam and other things, you can't really comprehend what is really happening with these with the, with the extremism. Um, it, it's it's crucial to know the it doesn't represent. Let me just make this point. It doesn't represent by any means most of Islamic or even or even a a majority or any way of Islamic thinking, but it is rooted in a certain Islamic mindset. Do you think that that's coming back or that's always going to be at this point, it's going to be glossed over? If memory serves, and I may be incorrect on this, it was Obama who who was the champion of removing Islamic from the uh, the description of the threat. Who call them just radicals or extremists? And again, I understand you don't want to taint an entire religion because of the actions of a minority. We don't know how big that minority is, whether it's one percent, ten percent, or thirty percent. We don't really know uh, how many. I mean, how many are actual terrorists? Is a very small number. How many explicitly, tacitly support the radicals? We don't know. We really don't know. Uh, when. Uh, you know, when, uh, uh, you know, and to use the word Islamic, uh, the, the Muslims certainly felt was a, an assault on all of them. But again, on the other hand, how do you not use the word when the ideology is based on their interpretation of Islam? It is. Now, you and I may disagree or others may disagree with, is it the correct interpretation of Islam or the incorrect interpretation of Islam? That's a, you know, that's a debate, you know, for Islamic scholars myself. I, I consider myself a scholar of Islam, having watched Homeland in 24. Mm-hmm. And therefore I, I am an expert in Islam. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> but, um, right. um, I, yeah, well, again, so I, I don't, I, again, that's, that's an interesting question. I've, I've read a lot about it as we all have. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, uh, but, but there's more to it. I think when you, um, when you when you label it radical Islamic terrorism, you're also appealing to the more moderate uh, Islamic leaders to condemn this behavior and to to create pressure against the you know. The right. Faction. So I think one thing has happened since 9/11 and since the Arab Spring and the Muslim Brotherhood and all of that is that countries like Egypt and Saudi Arabia are much less inclined to you know to you know to to ignore, are much more inclined to ignore, uh, are much less inclined to ignore the risk from Islamic extremism. In other words, the Saudis and the Egyptians who used to give some, you know, used to buy them off, right? That was the Saudi. They're not doing it anymore, right? You, the people in the, the Gulf countries, the Sunni Muslims have learned the wages of what happens when you give these guys support and even to buy them off to protect yourself. So 
I, I don't think they're ever going to get the support from, you know, from the Sunni governments in the Middle East that they used to get. Uh, and and that, that's a huge change, you know, for, for the better. But again, we, we've seen the attacks. I mean, I said before, there hasn't been another 9-11, but you had, I don't know, you had the time, you had, you had the shoe bomber, you had, I don't know, the Times Square failed bombing, you had the Fort Hood killings. I mean, you had have had Muslim terrorist events in the U.S., but nothing, nothing like 9-11. So they don't have the support they used to have. They have alienated many of their own supporters. Al-Qaeda, you know, the documents captured uh, in Abbottabad when, uh, when, 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 uh, when bin Laden was killed, the documents detail how much the Al-Qaeda leadership understood that they, the damage they had done to their popularity in the Muslim world by all of these indiscriminate killings and acts. They understood it themselves. Again, we're sitting here, uh, you know, in August of, uh, of, of 2021, 20 years after 9-11, uh, you know, a decade after bin Laden was killed. Um, and, and we don't know yet. We don't know yet what this means. We don't know yet what the withdrawal from Afghanistan will mean. We don't know what it means. We really don't know. Yeah, let me take us back, and I think this could be really the the theme of our program in, in many ways, as we're as we're sort of lumbering toward it. Uh, you know, it's been twenty years. We all probably can tell each other where were you when you when the when the planes uh, you know entered into the World Trade Center. Where were you when the second time when the South Tower went down? Where were you watching? What was going on? Um, I, I think. You know, uh, we were all obviously very, very scared, worried, as you said, that the next attack was on its way. The skies were incredibly empty because there was no air travel, I think, for a number of days afterwards. Um, and, and it was I, I remember the weather was extremely beautiful, you know, and still there was like this sense of uh, of beauty combined with this this fear that permeated us all. But then afterwards, what started to happen? was a, uh, a especially in New York City, but even beyond that, a sense of America uh, uh, coming together. There was a sense of uh, a patriotism. And there was also an incredible sign um, in the Jewish community of we stand with America, Israel stands with America. Sure. Um, the, the Israelis, although again, there was a little bit of probably, you know, trumpeting saying, oh, now you know what it's about, you know, now right. you could there be our partner. Yeah. yeah, which probably was not the right thing to do at the time, but still there was an incredible sense. We of, sang Chadodi that week to the tune of America the Beautiful, yes. Yeah, and, and, there was, right, and there was a sense of America and Israel, and, and, and Israel right. understood, and America now understood what it meant to be scared, and, right. and to realize and that these enemies were, were the same. And, and even George you know, W, who, you know, was, you know, was a uh, really a, a decent fellow, I think, a really a decent fellow, sort of like a, you know, I, I don't know if you would call him a fool, but, uh, you know, a decent fellow and somebody who, um, you know, I, I think many people felt, you know, I might not have voted for him, I might have voted for Gore, but I'm happy that he was there at that moment. Again, later he was considered, you know, he got us into this terrible war and it was, and, and maybe he laid the foundations for Obama to be elected. But my point, Rabbi, is can you see, I mean, it was only 20 years ago, can you see a return to that sort of spirit of, no. uh, spirit of patriotism uh, and, and unity across the aisle, Republican, Democrat, and affinity to Israel? Can you see that happen? No, it, the world is so much different than it was because 
everything has been hyper-politicized. In other words, too many people are making decisions on, on what to believe based on what their enemies believe to doing the opposite. So if Republicans are wearing an American flag lapel pin, Democrats can't because somehow it's associated with, you know, January 6th rioters almost in their mind. And and it is the flip side exists as well. I mean, so it's very hard to envision a more unified America where everything is so divisive and very hard camps. And it's very hard to imagine that. But also, George W. Bush, people forget a lot of things. You know, when do we make our worst mistakes as human beings? We make our worst mistakes when we are on top of the world, when we're filled with hubris, right? Things are most dangerous when you when you are most victorious because you think it means a lot more than it does. And the West was in a state of hubris at 9-11. What I mean by that is the 1990s had seen a wave of democracy. Countries that we didn't even know how to, whose name we couldn't spell, were all of a sudden free and democratic. Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, right? Hungary was free. Communism had collapsed. There was a wave of democracy even in, even, even in Africa. Uh, you know, country, it, it was, it, democracy seemed inevitable. Uh, Francis Fukuyama wrote the end of history, right? The conflict's over. Western liberal democracies have won. The communist model is shattered. The dictatorship model is shattered. Democracy is inevitable. It's universal. So when George W. goes into Afghanistan and then later Iraq, thinking he could build democracy. Remember where it came from. It came from the 1990s, where, again, an unexpected wave of democracy did, in fact, transform many countries. So when he starts talking about how Iraq's got to be a model of democracy and this and that, and, and you know, we all know how that turned out in Afghanistan, and, you know, it was it was born out of the hubris of the 1990s, where democracy, universal appeal seemed pretty apparent. So, um, so yeah, uh, you know, people forget where all that came from. And 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 I think also there was a, um, a besides that, you know, that sense of uh, unity and connectivity and patriotism. There was also the willingness, which we talked about earlier to label the bad guys, the bad guys, and to see them. Uh, and it's always, it's always easy, as you know, to unify against uh, an enemy that you can demonize. And I think there was this idea of like the weapons of mass destruction. There was an idea that, 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 that these, that, that in Iraq, there was, you know, we had uh, uh, the, the dictator, Hassan, right. That was, that was, that was running things. So I think what's happened in my, from the way I'm looking at it is, there's been a pushback that was so intense that everything, you know, we don't want to see things in, in, in those sort of, uh, in that sort of mindset anymore. And we're not looking at, you know, the, the, the evil guys aren't really that evil and we're a lot more evil than we think we are, right? You know, our cause is not really as just, we are also imperialists and we are, you know, white racial, uh, you know, evil people as well. And what we're doing here as we, so it's incredible when we go back on what was lost. I mean, it was almost like 9-11 and the period afterwards was was almost like the last glorious right. time. There's of, no question that with the, the, the approach of the liberals, the woke, is to characterize America by its worst failures rather than its greatest triumphs. 
And when you do that, when your story of America is 1619 project, when your story of America is systemic racism and a wholesale slaughter of African-Americans by white policemen and, 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 you know, interpreting every moment in American history as having been shaped by one force and one force only the force of racism. Uh, you, you know, you, you're, you're raising Americans, you know, without any, any patriotism or pride. And, uh, and where do you have the wherewithal to, to defend if, if that which you're defending is so morally compromised? And, and no, I, uh, I, I think it also spilled over in, 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 into um, a, a lack of sympathy towards what's, what's happening in Eretz Yisrael by the typical American. Oh, the sure. same way they looked at themselves with such criticism and saw those forays that George W. did in the, in the, woke, in the wake I'm sorry, of 9-11 as big American mistakes. Uh, they were now going to shine a critical light on what's happening in Eretz Yisrael, for sure, and 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 therefore, hey, look, we think we we think we're terrible. Uh, Israelis also supposedly the 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 light bringers of democracy and and and, and understanding are also terrible. So really, you know, nine eleven, although the the three thousand or so that died in nine eleven was it really was I guess that last the the the, the months and I guess the year after that was sort of like the last shining moment. Of of the world we sort of we grew up in. Now, right. you know, yeah. Also, listen. One of the other ironies of the whole thing, and there are many, is you're absolutely right. I mean, you look back to the the months or even you know after nine eleven, it's hard to imagine, you know, the the boisterous unif- unity and, and 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 patriotism and sense of common purpose, which is now almost completely evaporated, but also is. You know, in the 1990s, who were the bad guys in the world? Oh, we speak Saddam Hussein, Hafez al-Assad, Muammar Gaddafi. They're all gone. Now, uh, is uh, Syria in better shape without Hafez al-Assad? Is Libya in better shape without Gaddafi? Is Iraq in better shape without Saddam Hussein? I mean, the irony is those guys, as horrible as they were, you know, there was, uh, you don't have the anarchy in the Civil War with, with them around. And, uh, and, and that is, you know, the people we thought, if only we get rid of these guys, things will be better. We got rid of these guys and we have much worse, right? And uh, much worse. And, um, and you know, with, with, uh, with a weakened Iraq, you have a very powerful and expansive uh, Iran. You have a civil war in Syria, you have a civil war uh, in Libya. And uh, it does, it should humble people who are so confident about their ability to make the world better. And uh, we, we know that any intervention has te- can have terrible, terrifying, unintended consequences. You know, I remember Norman Podhoritz wrote after the Oslo, after Oslo Agreement in the 90s. He said, you know, uh, he went through a couple of examples. I remember only two of them. He says, look, you know, in the time of the czar, Jews, everybody, we've got to get rid of the czar. We've got to get rid of the czar. We only get rid of the czar. The world is perfect. And they got rid of the czar and the world got worse. Uh, in Cambodia, they said, oh, we got to get rid of King Sinahook, the corrupt tyrant. And they got rid of what happened? You had, you know, Paul Pot and two million dead Cambodians. You know, it, or the Cuba. ability to can talk about Cuba, too. With right. Dalton. The ability to criticize the status quo and imagine a much better world does not necessarily mean you're going to figure out the bridge between the horrible status quo and the idyllic future. And 
uh, going ahead and invading Afghanistan, invading Iraq, you know, immediately, again, trans changed from getting rid of the weapons of mass destruction, getting rid of a safe haven for Al-Qaeda into nation building. And, you know, our ability to do that, anybody's ability to do that is extraordinarily limited. Yeah. Again, bringing it back, I think, to, um, you know, the, the Jewish community, the, the one that you serve so nobly for. And, Self, uh, I would also say selflessly. Selflessly, yes, yes, of course, without any aspect of self. Um, the Tefillah was Shalom Medina, which, of course, um, I remember in the weeks after 9-11, it was said with tears in people's eyes, you know, and even when we went into, even when the troops were sent, there was um, you know, the type of spirit that our, 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 our parents, of course, my parents are European, but uh, American parents and grandparents had when they were w- listening to every single report about what was happening uh, in World War II. Again, it, it wasn't the, on the same uh, scale and the, the, the stakes were not as enormous. But that was also something that Philo was Shalom Ahmedina. Um, and listen, uh, read, read Ramesha Feinstein's writings on Thanksgiving. I mean, we love America, Jews should love America. It's been a blessed place because, and this is people forget, why was America so good for us? It's because we believed, and America believed, that you judge people by you know the character of their soul, their accomplishments. People are looked at as individuals, not labeled as part of a group. They're, 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 and, and you can succeed and, you can, and you'll be left alone. There's freedom of religion and all of these things. And, and that America is at risk now because you have a, a significant slice of the population. That means, no, you do judge people by the color of their skin. You do label people as being part of a group, privileged, uh, powerless, whoever they are. And, you know, and, 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 and the very idea of America is being challenged by many on the left. The very idea of what made America so beloved by Jews is at risk. You know, I was reading The New Yorker. Nicholas Liebman wrote a piece about affirmative action. And he said, you know, Jews opposed affirmative action because it put their places in the university at risk. And Lehman's wrong about that. That's a complete fabrication. Jews weren't opposed to affirmative action because it put the number of Jews in the university at risk. They were opposed to it because of an assault on the American ideal. Right, America was great for us because it wasn't about what group you were from. It was about who you are as a human being, as an individual. It was an assault on on, on what they thought, how Jews understood the very welcoming nature of American society to minorities and and, and Jews, and how it gave us an opportunity to thrive and flourish yeah. in a way as, which the uh, European right, model right. did never never allow. Right, a a, a true meritocracy where if meritocracy you had, is good. We had gumption and intelligence and drive. You'd be able to climb the ladder. I, I think also just to to put a, a period here. Um, you know, I remember when I was a kid, of course, and of course you 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 were uh, you you viewed your father over Sholem Shul. But just saying the name, you know, the president and the vice president, I remember seeing it always in the Siddur. And it was always something, you know, quite, it, it was so unique, you know, to see the Nazi of, of America. Like having, like, here you have a Siddur, which is obviously our most hallowed book. And I remember seeing in the Birnbaum, I don't know if it was the Birnbaum, it was another type of Siddur uh, that we had, the president and the vice president, like, in, all right, of the United States. And, and, and you could see that, 
can you imagine that that fila? I mean, it, it meant a lot when we were growing up, and I'm sure it meant a lot after 9/11 as well. You know, today saying that prayer, I mean, <laughs> there's snickering, there's there's a come on, right? Uh, you know, whether you know, it, it's almost like, and we know the the azharas of our neviim to to love the country where we were. But you know, I, I I guess what I'm saying is is that I I mourn that innocence and that beauty Absolutely. that has dissipated, and and we're, I don't think we're going to see it come back. Uh, it, um, it's hard to imagine how it comes back. There are cycles to a lot of things in life, but I'm not sure how this comes back. And you know, behind me you see the pictures of my grandfathers when they started out as a rabbinim in Europe. They were giving a bracha for the czar of Shabbos, and they had to give a bracha for Lenin. Then they came to America and gave a bracha for America. My father became a rabbi, a blessing for America. And he lived to see, of course, the time when he could give a blessing for the state of Israel. And so we've been through a lot. And, uh, and, and the cynicism about America on the part of too many Americans is, is, is devastating. A country that doesn't believe in itself. How much can they accomplish and how much can they mean to the world? If you don't believe in your own in your own values in, in your own, no one's asking Americans to think of themselves as superior or walk around chauvinistically, but to be rightfully proud of all that America is and has become, and all that America accomplished, and what countries in the West in general have accomplished, and to to look at it in, in such a negative jaundiced way does not portend well for the future of the West. No. Yeah. I guess, you know, so one thing I think we could both suggest, although, you know, we're, we're not always in the habit of suggesting films and things, but again, I didn't see it, but it might be worthwhile as we come to this 20th anniversary um, to maybe screen United 93, where um, we could all remember what it was when, uh, you know, a group of passengers who had no connection to each other uh, decided to to, to take down the plane, to actually be my, I mean, that is such a beautiful Masada. It's, 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 it's like Masada plus. I mean, here you have these people who said, look, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to be mock of ourselves in order that these guys do not hit the Pentagon. And right. right? I mean, isn't that inspiring about what Absolutely. America is able to do? And I 100%. think that, and I think that that might be, you know, as, as you know, 9-11 and Rosh Hashanah are sort of like, coming together um i think it might be worthwhile look i know you you know you're in canada but still i think it might be worthwhile for us to you know as we hear that shafer that calls us for you where, where were you on 9-11 i was in chicago at the time i was teaching i was i was running a uh if you ask me i was actually running the uh, the minion for the high school boys and the ida crown uh jewish academy and who told school. you what happened how'd you hear it uh, there was a boy who was coming late for davening, and as I as I went over to him to see what was going on, he said they just bombed the you know, they, the plane just went into the World Trade Center, and of course immediately um, all good all good information comes from people who come late for davening. Yes, yes, this, and <laughs> some of the kids were very happy that TVs were were uh, were set up uh, all over the, the school, but. You know, it was, you know, it was, it was, it was similar to the Kennedy funeral. Everything was being, that was played. There was all, you know, and, and, and why just seeing it over and over again, again, the, um, the shock and the horror. So yes, I was with, with students and I'll tell you, I guess it, to be honestly, since you're asking me, I, I feel that I am, I am proud that I was with 
students and, and, and they were turning to us, not me so much in particular, but everybody for what's going on. And, and, and we were sort of sharing in this together. Um, how about you? Do you remember where you were when the, when the plane? I was hit? in the situation room. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was actually, it's funny. It's not funny, but I was, I, I'm never home that time of day. Never. For some, I don't remember why, but I was home. Uh, and, and, and I never, ever, the last time I watched the Today Show was my mother was alive, you know, in the hospital with my mother. But you were, you were in Montreal. You were I was Montreal. in Montreal. And, and for some reason, I turned on the TV and I hadn't heard anything yet. And the Today Show was on. And I think it was Jane Polly. I don't remember who was on. I get them mixed up. Katie Couric or Jane Polly. I don't remember which one. And um, they were reporting that the first tower had hit. My memory may be flawed here, but I, I, I believe I saw the second tower hit live. There was a news aircraft sure. in, in the air, and I think I saw the second building being hit live. And uh, I immediately called my daughter in Baltimore, and I said, Tamar, where are you? And she said, I'm on my way to Washington. I said, turn around. Even though nothing had happened in Washington, I just said there was bad stuff going on. So she turned around, which was good. My other daughter was in Israel. I called her right away and I said, get back to your dorm. She was in Mechola. I told her to get back to the dorm. Everybody was freaked out. Everyone was freaked out. Uh, you know, it, uh, it, you know, it, uh, it, it was, uh, it was very, very, uh, very scary time. And uh, Avi was by someone happened to be with me in Montreal that day. And, uh, and the kids were in school, but it, it was scary as heck. And we all knew the world had changed immediately yeah. when you saw the second plane, first plane, was an act, you know, people thought, oh, it was an accident, you know, there was a plane crash. So, as soon as the second plane hit, you knew it was terror attack, and you knew that the world would, and you knew the world had changed, and you, and, and, and you knew it was gonna not, it was gonna be hard. And uh, those I, I, buildings I, fell, I mean, it was unbelievable. Yes, I mean, yes, yes. and we actually, right. again, part of what we were seeing, because um, this was, you know, the, the advent of when cell phones became, uh, right. you know, a standard uh, ubiquitous. Uh, yeah, ubiquitous on everyone. And we heard, of course, that people were using their cell phones. Um, so many Jews, of course, in the World Trade Center, making those last calls. Um, and, and, and again, this is what we were hearing. Of course, my brother, uh, who, of course, we've spoken about in the past, was going on his way to work that way. That's where he worked right near there. So we were I was concerned uh, about was he all right? What had happened to him? Um, you know, what was going on. Uh, so, I, I, yeah, and, and we were trying and it took us a long time till we discovered uh, where he was uh, and what it happened. Those are, those are heart-wrenching moments. I mean, I remember, I mean, I, I called friends in New York. It, it was, uh, that was a crazy couple of days until we figured out who was all right, who wasn't, unfortunately. And the people whose lives were saved because they were in Slichos, those stories went around or the guy that, you know, missed the plane or got the plane, you know, all those, but uh, right. overwhelmingly, it was it was clear that some uh, that the determination of the of, of our enemies was quite remarkable. Their skill could not be discounted, and they pulled off something that was astonishing, astonishing. But again, when those names were read, there was a uh, there was a, a, from all different walks of life, including, of course, the many Jews who who died. There was again a sense of of that shared uh, connectivity that we've been saying is fortunately no longer there. Well, Rabbi, uh, I, I, let's 
let's let us hope that it will be indeed a moment of reflection and perhaps strength. Yes. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next time. Be well. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 